If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. We're on the precipice of great disruption of many industries. I'm sure when we're sitting here talking next year, Dot will be looking at a very different world. And again, a world in which I'm reluctant to predict things at the moment. How might the current pandemic ultimately change our society? And what role will technologies like augmented reality and virtual reality play in that change? Futurist, XR consultant, and Forbes columnist Charlie Fink has some insights to share. Charlie, what are some of the ways that you see XR stepping up to the plate as we deal with the current pandemic? Well, XR certainly will be accelerated. The development will be accelerated by this crisis, but we're also suffering at the moment from a severely disrupted supply chain, which has limited import and availability of new VR headsets. If you wanted to get on VR today, your two options are a lower-end three-dot headset, which doesn't offer you that much agency inside of a virtual world, and buying a very high-end Rift or HTC Vive, which requires a gaming PC with a new fast video card from NVIDIA. So, you know, that would be a $2,000 setup, which is prohibitive for most individuals. There aren't even that many gaming PCs. So VR doesn't, and XR to a certain extent, although XR is a very broad term, but VR itself is not, unfortunately, ready to seize this opportunity at scale. But as I said, I think it's going to accelerate the development of the medium and its importance. Certainly, we will be living in a very different world in the next 8 to 12 weeks. And what's going to happen is beyond my ability to predict. But I do think that VR will get new focus and there will be new excitement around it, which hopefully will propel it in the next pandemic to be a solution for the masses. It's interesting that we have this as a catalyst now. It's probably going to change us pretty radically. Before we go on, let's identify what exactly XR is. You told me before in a previous interview you defined AR and VR. What is XR? XR is, it encompasses a whole range of wearable, augmentive technology. So it's AR it's VR, it's wearable computing, it's spatial hearables and, you know, smart contact lenses and the Fitbit, which, you know, interfaces with your body to provide you with digital information about your health. So all those things fall under the general category XR because, of course, you need a way to describe the universe and the context that VR is in. That shortage of headsets is going to be a major stumbling block, but even given that, what are some of the ways that you're going to see XR currently being helpful to the large groups of people who are now having to work remotely? What are some of the best resources? Well, HTC just did a fairly sizable conference using the Engage platform and announced a strategic relationship with Engage. So I think you could do large corporate events, but again, it works on a 2D PC as well as with a headset. So any of the VR solutions today need to be cross-platform. 
right, because of the lack of HMDs and the fact that you can only wear an HMD for an hour or so today. They're, you know, not that comfortable. I mean, they're comfortable enough to wear it an hour. Hours a considerable amount of time, but, you know, it's not like a console game which just goes on and on and on and you're, you know, anchored in reality rather than being inside of a virtual world where, you know, you have to suspend your disbelief and, and navigate in an unfamiliar way and then there's the weight of the headset on your face. Some people still get dizzy and disoriented. So there is a ways to go with the hardware, but these platforms like Engage do allow PC users to navigate using their mouse or their keypad and they are effective, right? Second Life is getting a new Second Life and people are highly satisfied with its two-dimensional platform and the limited number of avatars that can be in proximity to one another on that platform. And that is one of the many problems that people who provide large-scale conferencing platforms have to deal with is that concurrency and how you handle that and how you provide avatars that are even as basic as the ones in Altspace VR, which just hosted an education conference and did a wonderful job with that. And Altspace VR is free. But, you know, you don't get a lot of customization with that. Nonetheless, it's a robust platform. It's been around for almost four years. And uh, it's now run by Microsoft, which has, obviously, the resources uh, to scale. And I think, uh, again, Altspace being established and, and being fairly stable is, you know, it's not a beta product. A lot of the spatial computing sites like Spatial.io, which is a fantastic platform, you know, are still in the beginning stages. Like I said, they're going to get accelerated, but these really are kind of beta projects. That said, there are a number of 2D products or 2D slash 3D products that are more than robust enough to host a conference with thousands of people. I don't know what Oculus venues can do in terms of cross-platform, but it's a pretty amazing presentation setting for people in VR. So, you know, Facebook and Flash Oculus is doing a lot to advance the ecosystem, and they're the only ones who can afford to absorb the losses between here and mass adoption. On the subject of affordability, a number of people listening right now are in the education field. What are some of the apps right now, be they AR or virtual reality that we can just use on a PC, anything affordable that might help folks who are in education, maybe homeschooling or possibly teaching classes remotely? Well, the first thing I would look at is a site like Rumi, which is optimized for education. A lot of these other conferencing software like Zoom is you know, being used by educational institutions, but it's not optimized for their use per se. You know, there are other platforms out there. Victory XR is a small company that's trying to actually get approved by the state of Kansas so that they can do certified teaching. A lot of platforms like the Ruby platform will accommodate lower-end headsets like the Oculus Go. I think big screen also allows you to use the Oculus Go. But the 2D default that almost all businesses are using is either Google Hangouts, Microsoft Teams, or Zoom, and WebEx, which is owned by Cisco. I'm going to hark back for a moment to your book, Convergence. You had something intriguing in one of the chapters about education and the ways holographic storytelling and AR for memorization are going to work in education. Would you tell me a little bit about this? 
Well, that particular anecdote in the book came from a study that the MIT Media Lab did, whereby individuals wore a HoloLens along a certain route that they traveled every day to work. And along that route were planted Easter eggs, if you will. And, you know, the Easter eggs remained in the memory of the users far longer than it would have using any other method of memorization by those same individuals. So I think the efficacy of VR teaching to comprehension and memorization is remarkable based on these early studies. But, you know, it's hard at this point to construct, you know, tests that would tell you how it would be for a whole school and what kind of strategies, what teaching strategies would emerge to leverage the ability of VR to help with memorization. You know, everybody talks about field trips. Everybody talks about biology, you know, chemistry. Those are all applications that you would think would do well at VR, but I don't know personally of any that are developed and fairly robust. Like I said, this will accelerate things, but we're at the very beginning. But I think the evidence that VR is a more effective education platform than even real life will be tested. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I don't know. I don't know whether it will be or not. And I don't know, you know, how important is being in person? We don't really know anymore. That's amazing because we were kind of seeing now with everybody having to be isolated, it seems like folks are going to Zoom. It seems like we really want that connection of a community. Well, one thing people aren't really doing is conference calls. (laughs) So I'm happy to say conference calls are a thing of the past because they always were very difficult to interface on because you couldn't see the other people. And that, by the way, is a problem in virtual worlds, right? You you know, on Zoom, you can see when somebody stops talking. You know, in, in virtual worlds, that's a little bit harder. I was just using a platform the other day called Teo, P-E-E-O-H, which is a new platform that is optimized for groups of 60 or less, and it has a stage. And people sit in the audience, and they can interact with the speakers and with the people who are sitting around them. And the effect of the people sitting around me was very much like a conference call. We got it after about a half an hour, but these things are not going to come naturally to people right away. And they have disadvantages versus Zoom, let's be honest. I'm envisioning people talking over people and maybe somebody's phone ringing, things like that with the TO. Yeah, I mean, again, TO, like so many of the other platforms, is in beta. And it isn't really fair to judge them because they haven't really had a chance to develop their product based on real feedback. You know, so like Spatial and so many other companies, they are very early in their development. Even admitting that we are not there yet, we are not developed enough to really handle this like experts for COVID-19, what are some of the most interesting trends you're seeing for the workplace of the future and for the education institution of the future as you research your new book? Well, I think that the first thing is, I think that we're going to be rather omnivorous over the next several years and people will be using multiple platforms for multiple things. If you are doing 3D collaboration or design collaboration, there are tools that are better for that than if you have a classroom. I think people will default to Zoom. Zoom is good. Google Hangouts is good. These are you know, great platforms for a dozen people or less to be conferencing on. And people, by the way, <laughs> they're not just conferencing on Zoom. They're socializing. 
You know, I, <laughs> a friend of mine's kid just posted some content on Facebook, you know, showing him, you know, hanging out with like, you know, a dozen friends. Everybody's sort of on their couch or has a laptop in their lap and is kind of cocooned in their individual little spaces. So it was kind of fascinating. And they decided to be working. They were, it was an afterwork thing. You know, we want to be together even though we have to be apart. And I think that's one of the great things about VR is that intense sense of presence you get. And that might be, you know, might mitigate the loneliness of being separated like this. You know, so let's not discount the psychological and medical values that we see VR bringing to so many people and in particular people who are physically isolated. You know, one of the dirty little secrets of Second Life and other social VR platforms prior to the pandemic is a lot of people using them were housebound, but, you know, in VR they were equal. You know, that democratizing quality of VR, you could be in VR with people all over the world. So, you know, we're on the precipice of great disruption of many industries. And no doubt VR and as well as the TV conferencing platforms are going to accelerate that. I think when the crisis is over, a lot of companies will ask themselves whether they need real estate. Or maybe they need a different kind of real estate. Or maybe people work at home much of the time. I think it'll be great for traffic. It'll be great for our carbon footprint. It probably would be better for our children. And it might even improve our mental health. But you can't do it all the time. You have to have some way of bonding with your group. So I think these, you know, the culture is what's going to change, right? The end of the handshake. And we still don't know what to replace it with. And I think that's a metaphor for something that's happening in almost every business. And so many businesses won't exist when this crisis is over 12 or 16 or 20 weeks from now. You know, we're going to come out of this and three quarters of the restaurants will be closed and, and as well as retail establishments and they will not be open. And so you're going to have a displacement of workers of an epic scale. And the country is going to need some kind of a Marshall Plan, you know, some kind of a 100 days dramatic government action to restore society in some sense. But I'm sure when we're sitting here talking next year, Dot will be looking at a very different world. And again, a world in which I, I'm reluctant to predict things at the moment because we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know how we're going to change. And it's a very scary time for everybody. You know, and I especially empathize with the young people, the young people I teach, little kids and People trying to start out their lives and their careers are a lot more disrupted than a 60-year-old writer who spends most of his time in his office at home anyway. My wife joked that she's been doing social distancing for a decade. Finally, the world is catching up to her. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. You and I are in about the same place in our lives, and it will make far less difference to us. But... What would you advise any of your students right now who are going to see this major disruption in the workplace if, let's say, somebody has been driving a cab and they want now to know, rather than the service economy, they're going to have to learn some new job skills. Without having a crystal ball here, what would you tell them? Where would you tell them to look? Well, I mean, the good news is you could learn just about anything on the Internet today. There are both free and paid courses in almost every subject you can imagine on Coursera and Udemy and other places. That said, I don't 
think most people can learn that way because they didn't grow up learning that way. I think the new generation, both college students and even younger kids, have learned how to help themselves with YouTube and other platforms. But not everybody is like that. You know, a lot of people need the in-person training. I do think you're going to have, as you rightly pointed out, an army of Uber drivers, for example, who have no trade anymore. You know, you're going to have an army of restaurant workers and hotel people and people who work for airlines. I mean, how long is it going to take the airlines to recover? You know, we might be looking at a future in which we travel much less and we do go to virtual conferences. And maybe ultimately the economy, that will be good for the economy, right? Maybe we don't need to do that anymore. Maybe the tools are good enough to collapse distance and businesses will adopt them quickly. You know, there are enormous expenses associated with travel, especially the bigger the business, the bigger those expenses are. So businesses will be looking to operate more efficiently. People will need to be retrained. Not everybody can be retrained in the same way. And I'm not sure what jobs are going to be available that won't be automated at some point in the next 30 years. So we're looking at culturally and from a business standpoint, a lot of displacement and a lot of unknowns. I don't know what you do with those people who can't be trained online and what even jobs exist for them in the new economy. I don't know. I don't know what replaces restaurants and live entertainment and live sports. And, you know, these are enormous businesses and you know, for example, any damage to the live sports business is going to damage the network television business because most of their business revolves around loss leaders and sports. So, This is simultaneously an exciting conversation and a very scary one, very similar to what we had before when you and I discussed Metaverse. Yes, yes, that's true. Well, I mean, I, you know, this technology is a great gift to us, but used in the wrong way. It can also hurt us. As I said at the time, and I firmly believe this, look, I mean, I was here at the beginning of the Internet in the early 90s, and I was amazed and drawn to it because it was the end of media as we knew it. You know, it was the end of the dominance of the gatekeepers. And now people would have equal access to the tools of distribution, and the truth could never be suppressed again. But what we didn't realize was neither could lies. And then, in fact, the Internet gives lies in equal time with the truth, which is something the gatekeepers didn't permit. So I was busy hating on the gatekeepers and not appreciating their role in moderating our, the worst instincts in our society. You know, now some of those worst instincts are mainstream. So, you know, but maybe this will be a big reset. You know, maybe those extremists will go back into the shadowy corners of the internet where nobody really goes and they'll be banished from the mainstream. I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen to democracy or this country or any country for that matter, because this is really, this kind of a pandemic can change, you know, the human race. I mean, who, I'm just one little person, one little technology writer. I don't know what's going to happen to the human race. Just because I write about virtual reality, I don't have some special crystal ball my retirement account got hammered just as badly as everybody else's, and I read the news all day. So I have no special prescience other than 
being able to see what's happening with the technology that I follow. That's why I'm writing a book about remote collaboration and virtual conferences. By the way, that's the title, Remote Collaboration, Virtual Conferences, The End of Distance and the Future of Work. Remote Collaboration, Virtual Conferences will be Charlie's third book. I wish you'd give me a little preview of that. What will we see? Well, the meat of the book is going to be a description of the 100-plus collaboration platforms that are out there, and just a description of what they are and which ones are good for virtual conferences and which ones are good for team collaboration and which ones are good for teaching, and, and break it out in that way. And I think the beginning of the book, we're really asking a question, right? And the question is, what is the best way for people to get together when they're apart? And also, what is possible and what is the ideal? Right? Let's say technology was no obstacle, what is the platform you would build? And then the conclusion of the book is, of course, well, now that we've explored it, and now that we see what's out there, you know, this is our view of where this industry is and where it's going. You know, this is not about one company, it's about this new need we have for remote collaboration and what platforms you know, are people being attracted to and, and why. I can't wait to see this. Where do people find out more? Well, the surest way is to follow me on Twitter or at Charlie Fink. Easy to remember. So that is my primary way of promoting my work. It will be publishing it as we go along, also in Forbes. As you know, I have a popular poem in Forbes, and I'm easy to find in Forbes Tech. I publish this week in XR as well as a number of feature articles every month. So certainly the artificial articles are going to be part of the content of the book. In fact, a story in Forbes is, is really what started this. You know, it was, you know, super popular. VR takes the stage as conferences cancel. And that was written in the ancient days of March 11th, which seems like a million years ago. So that story got, you know, and I got a lot of really positive feedback because people were hungry for this information. That was really the first one. There have been many survey articles coming out right now. So people don't have to wait for my book. Lots of writers and, you know, particularly, you know, people associated with XR are, you know, creating similar lists and similar articles to the one that I just wrote. What no one is doing is really creating a book. And I'm not sure, by the way, the book is exactly the distribution platform for this information. It may be a website, or it may be both. So, you know, we're at the very, very beginning of figuring out this project as, as we go. But there are a lot of sites and a, and a lot of platforms to for us to experience and understand before we can, in order to release the book. It's a huge sprint to do, you know, a 200-page book in eight weeks, ten weeks, nine weeks now. Uh, so it's kind of crazy to think you can do that, and we'll see. I mean, that's the goal. We will see. I'd like to get it out by Augmented World Expo, which is at the last week in May, first week in June, I think it's the 30th. And I'd like to get it out by then, but it's quite a sprint, so <laughs> we'll see. But I'm excited about the opportunity to write the book, especially at a moment like this, because if I wasn't writing a book, I'd be banging my head against the wall because I couldn't leave the house. So, so what do you do? You know, you go to work, you put your head down and you do your thing. You know, that's all I got. 
you know, maybe I'll inspire my students and they will really be able to make, you know, they'll have the time, they have the time to make the changes that need to be made. I have often said we are planting trees under whose shade they shall sit on us. His first two books are Charlie Fink's Metaverse, introduced at CES 2018, and his more recent, Convergence, How the World Will Be Painted with Data. Again, you can follow Charlie on Twitter at Charlie Fink, and be sure to check out his consumer technology column on Forbes.com. Let's talk a little bit about artists and makers, because we say society may be radically changed, it certainly will be, but it seems like the artists are always leading the way and are always showing us a direction to which to aim. How do you see arts being affected by this, and what do you see so far with XR, AR, VR? Well, you know, I went to a terrific show that was put on by the Advanced Imaging Society, which is a trade association at Sotheby's in New York. And I've written a few things about artists since then and how they're using the medium, and they are always very, very popular. And there are a number of artists like Zenka and Tomiko Thiel who use augmented reality in their work. I've seen a lot of wonderful work in Tilt Brush being done and, you know, the Ode to Basketball that Kobe Bryant did with Glenn Keane was made in Tilt Brush. So, you know, I think we're seeing in small doses. You know, it's again, it's not at scale. You know, there's not, you know, there are some artists who are using it a lot and certainly artists are the canary in the coal mine, so to speak. You know, they were the first ones really exploring, you know, mixed reality, but you know, it's hard. This is not a country that supports the arts in the way other countries do, or at least they have in the past. You know, I think that VR has the potential to change live theater. And, you know, maybe a live theater would become democratized and less of a specialized Broadway kind of thing and will become important in VR. High Fidelity did some experiments with it before they shut down, and it showed a lot of promise. I think we need better platforms still. You know, they're not quite a platform that's good enough for anything other than short-form comedy. But someday there will be magic on the stage in VR, I'm quite certain of it. So we're just seeing the very surface of that being scratched. So I think the arts are super important. I think uh, you're absolutely right, Dot. Artists are often the people who start pushing a medium because they they have the urgent communication needs that others will have years later. So I love the art that I've seen so far, and it certainly has inspired me. I think that the more artists we can get working with these tools, the faster we'll develop this medium. On the subject of inspiration, if people could only get one thing from you and your three books, soon to be, and all your work with Forbes and your work as a futurist about innovation, creativity, and making a difference, what would you want them to take away from you? Everybody overestimates the short term and underestimates the long term. You know, that's, I mean, having lived through the dot-com revolution, there is no better metaphor than that. The other thing is that technology succeeds when it takes what we're already doing and makes it better. There's no better story to that than smartphones, right? You walked into your 
Verizon store with their flip phone, and they said, hey, would you rather have a phone that does email? It's the same price. You know, I was like, you're kidding me. Yes. And so the movement from flip phones to smartphones was frictionless and instant. But I think VR is following the development pattern of a personal computer. It's going to take 20 years. So if that's true, and you count, let's say, 2014, which is the beginning of Oculus as the sort of year zero, you know, that still means we're more than 10 years away from mass adoption of VR, which I don't think is a crazy thing to say, although I'm hopeful that it'll be twice as fast as that, but certainly it won't happen for years to come. But anyway, so, you know, my thoughts are multiple, but my basic thoughts about Oh, and, you know, the other thing is that people are the killer app, right? I mean, most of what we do when we look at our cell phone is we're looking for our connections to other people, whether it's through text messages or Facebook or Twitter posts. You know, that's really what makes humans thrive. We, we are social animals. So this disruption will test us for sure. And nobody knows how it's going to come out. In a way, that's the essence of a great story, right? You turn the page because you won't know what's going to happen. I've been joking lately, you know those Godzilla monster movies where they're, you know, walking down Fifth Avenue and knocking over all the buildings and there are little people on the ground running away from them? Uh-huh, people screaming and running. I never thought I was one of those people. <laughs> oh my. It's true, though. That's just it. We do not know. The Godzilla is a great metaphor for what is this, this unseen monster that's going to change all of society. It's absolutely true. Yeah, so unfortunately true. Charlie offered a final thought. I hope people can get a hold of this book, and I hope it's finished as quickly as I want, and that it's still relevant when it comes out 10 weeks from now, because that's how fast things are changing now. But I'm heads down investigating this and interested to see what I come up with. I, again, I appreciate people listening to this podcast. Thank you all, and we will get through this one way or another you know human life is going on no matter what's happened so head down stay safe and i'll see you on the other side charlie thank you for your time today god it's great to connect with you i really appreciate you reaching out especially at a time like this and i am i have a lot of gratitude for your interest in what i have to say thank you you and i have been listening to futurist xr consultant forbes columnist and author charlie fink as Charlie mentioned, he has a new book forthcoming. The title is Remote Collaboration, Virtual Conferences, The End of Distance, and the Future of Work. And his goal is to have it published by the Augmented World Expo, which is currently scheduled to happen May 26th through 29th. You can get updates by following Charlie on Twitter at Charlie Fink and by checking out his regular column on Forbes.com. And in addition, you might like to read his two previous books, Charlie Fink's Metaverse and his second one, Convergence, How the World Will Be Painted with Data, both of which are fascinating reads and a lot of fun because they're both augmented reality enhanced, offering an intriguing look at the future. Check them out on charliefink.com. That's charliefink.com. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two... T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X, twomavericks.com. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. 
the music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.